Father, thank you for your great and incredible love that, Lord, we can hear your voice and that even in the worst and most difficult times in our lives, you're here. You promised you would be. You said that there's nothing in all of heaven, there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of Christ or the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Father, your goodness certainly does chase us. We're told in Psalm 23 that your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And what an incredible gift it is for us to know that and that it's all made possible because you've given your son to die on the cross for our sins. I pray that you would guide us today. As we sing about loving your voice, Father, let us hear your voice this morning. May your spirit be the one who speaks. And may we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. It's going to feel a tiny bit odd until we go back to verse 4, which we'll do in a minute. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And to the angels he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the son he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Bless you. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will hold them up, but they will be changed. And you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So as we finished up last week, we read verse 4. And verse 4 really gives us the context for everything we just read. Because verse 4 tells us, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by, an, by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, and we spoke of how Jesus has the name above every name from Philippians 2. Now today we will begin to look at how Jesus is better than the angels. I titled this message, Better Than the Angels Part 1, uh, because when we get into chapter 2, we're going to talk more about how Jesus is better than the angels. Um, I want to say that we are going to get into that next week. But honestly, when we get into chapter 2, we're probably only going to take the first four verses next week, and then we'll get into Better Than the Angels Part 2 the week after. Uh, I'm just looking ahead. That's probably what's going to happen. So today, even though we're going to finish chapter 1, uh, as we turn our hearts and minds to the fact that Jesus is better than the angels, we're not going to finish this topic today. We're going to come back to it. So I do want to make a note about angels. So, are you ready for this? According to a Gallup poll, 77% of Americans 
So almost 8 out of 10 Americans believe in angels. Now, what's even more interesting than that is only 40% of them believe in God. Anybody want to help me out with that one? Right? So we have almost 80% of Americans believing in angels, but only 40% of them believe in God or are involved in any type of religious service. Since we only know angels exist because God has told us so in his word, that sort of boggles the mind. When we get to the end of the passage today, we will see that angels are ministering spirits sent to help us, and we're going to talk more about that when we get there. But I want to dispel a couple of common misconceptions. Now, if you do a, gur a, a gurgle search, wow! Somebody needs to untie it for me. It's just going to be like that. Um, if somebody were to do a Google search, I really need Google to start paying me for all, all the ads I give them, but, um, and you search misconceptions about angels, you will get many, many. There's a lot of people who believe a lot of things about angels that aren't true. I'm just going to deal with a couple. So one is... Some people have an, an unhealthy obsession with angels, and they actually get into angel worship. And God may use an angel to answer prayer. A great example of that is Daniel. When you get into the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 7, 8, and 9, several times God sends an angel to Daniel to explain something to him that Daniel was praying about. So it's kind of interesting. But they're created beings. They're fellow servants of God. So we don't pray. We don't pray to saints. We don't pray to Mary. We pray to the Father through our mediator, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5. Another one that I get a lot of, and this one's actually kind of interesting. We've been planning our vow renewal, as many of you know. And one of the things, Le Leah showed this to me, and she goes, this is creepy. It's creepy. No, right? It's creepy. Where you get this, this like board uh, of some sort, and you put down those who are watching us from above, and you put pictures of, uh, of pa uh, loved ones who have passed away who can't be there with you. I'm going to tell you all, if I die before you, I, I don't want to look. I don't want to know what's going on here. I want to hang out with Jesus. You guys will be fine. <laughs> all right. I, that's just not what I want to do. And there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that we do that. But part of that is, is a lot of people, uh, throughout the time of me uh, being a pastor, going, well, it's getting longer. Um, I've done a lot of funerals. And I've heard a lot of people saying, now, at a funeral is not the time to correct this. Just so you know. Uh, but I've heard a lot of people say, oh, they're an angel now looking down on us from above. No, they're not. They might be looking up. It was a joke. <laughs> Go ahead. I've told you about the funeral where the guy was not a believer. The family knew he wasn't a believer. They told me he wasn't a believer because several of the family members were followers of Jesus Christ. But his final request was to have Johnny Cash's song, Ring of Fire, close, play at the close of his funeral. I went down, down, down to a burning ring of fire. Play, or no, so the flames go higher. And I'm like, no, 
We don't, it, it might be true, but we don't want to play that at the end of it. Well, that was his final request. So I go, okay. So we did. It's really awkward. But when we die, we do not become angels. Nobody does. Wicked people don't become demons. That's not how it works. When we die as believers in Christ, we go directly into the presence of God. We receive a glorified body as part of the resurrection. This is all in 1 Corinthians 15.35 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So feel free to look it up. However, we do not become angels. There's nothing in Scripture that teaches that. In fact, angels are curious about our relationship with God through Christ. 1 Peter 1.12 talks about that. It's really, that, that's interesting to me that they're interested in how we're saved because they have a different relationship with him. With that being said, there are a lot of other things that we could tackle about angels, right? We know that there's a couple different classes of angels, cherubim and seraphim. Uh, we're told in a couple places in the Bible they are described for us. We're told what they look like. They're not little fat babies in diapers with a bow and arrow. Angels is freaky looking. Big, multiple heads or faces, six wings, multiple legs, covered in eyes. When they fly, they don't have to turn. They can just change direction. I don't know how that works. But some of them have wheels, maybe? Or they, they support a throne with Read Ezekiel. It'll wake you up. Um, but there's a lot of really fascinating things about angels. And it is an interesting study, but that's not our purpose today. So I'm going to stop. Our purpose today is to understand how Jesus is better than the angels. And I'll tell you something. If you meet an angel, they will tell you that. Right? The angels who are loyal and serving our Father like we do would look at you and say, uh-uh, Jesus is way better than me. Guaranteed. So let's do that. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son? But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So we begin with the argument that Jesus is better than the angels because God never said these things to an angel. So the first one, God never called the angels his children or his son. Right? That's one of the things that's very different about our relationship with God than the angels' relationship with God. We are adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters. Angels don't get that. Interesting. But specifically, Jesus as the son of the Father. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Psalm 2-7. Right? Not only does that speak of Jesus being the son of God, but it also uh, kind of loosely refers to his incarnation, his birth that we celebrate around Christmas time. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son, 2 Samuel 7.14. That is another prophecy referencing the descendants of David who would sit on the throne of David forever. So ultimately, a prophecy that speaks of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is to be worshipped. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, when Jesus was born as a human being, right, immaculately conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, in a little stable next to an inn in Bethlehem, and the angels spread and greet him. Go to Luke. The angels show up, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth and goodwill to all men. When that happened, God said, you angels, go worship him. That's what he told them. Let all the angels of God worship him. This comes from Deuteronomy 32, 43, and Psalm 97, 7. And I believe all those are in your notes. At least I hope they are. We're told in 1 Peter 3, 21 through 22, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Now, we could go up there and look at all that in context, and, and that would take us a while, so I'm not going to do that right now. But the point of that passage is very simple. Jesus rose from the dead. He was exalted to the right hand of God. And when he was, angels, authorities, and powers, so that is everything within the spiritual realm, everything within the physical realm, was made subject to him. Now, do we see that having come to fruition yet? Not quite. But it will. There will come the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So it's so much easier to do it now. Why wait until you're forced? And then finally, angels are different. He makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Um, this comes from Psalm 104, verse 4. And this speaks of angels being created which Jesus is not. Jesus is the creator. We talked about that last week. If you don't remember, feel free to go look at it. We talked about it from John chapter 1 and Colossians, I think also chapter 1, or chapter 3. Read the whole book of Colossians. It's four chapters, you'll find it. Um, but it speaks of angels being created. It speaks of them as being ministers, right? They have a job to do. They are powerful. That's for sure. Right? There, there's a, a, a scene in... Um, well, Isaiah records it, and I can't remember if it's in 1 Chronicles or 1 Kings, where one angel wipes out 185, 175,000 Assyrians in one night. That's one angel, right? He probably didn't break a sweat. I don't even know, do angels sweat? There's a question for you. Whoever can find that answer from Scripture, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Um, but now imagine what 1,000 of them could do, or 10,000, or 100,000. Right? So they're certainly powerful, but they're still created. And they are still subject to Jesus as their creator, which is interesting to me. So that moves us on to verses 8 and 9. Another reason Jesus is greater than the angels is because he gets a throne and they don't. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God. Notice that God the Father speaking to the Son, talks about his throne and talks about his divinity. Right? We see this throughout Scripture. We see it in multiple places. The divinity of Christ is well established in the Bible. But when the Father calls the Son God, well, then we shouldn't have a problem with it. He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Right? So his throne is everlasting. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And so... His throne will rule, or he will rule, 
with righteousness, with justice. The word scepter there, it, it speaks of judgment. And when he judges, it will be right. It will be fair and good. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And that, to me, is really interesting because if you go right throughout the whole New Testament, the Old Testament, we call the Messiah. Jesus is called the Messiah. Uh, in the New Testament, that becomes Christ in Greek. That means anointed. And what I think this is probably referring to is his baptism. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is baptized the Holy Spirit descends upon him. Right? That's a picture of his anointing. That God has anointed him. In Luke, he explains what that anointing is. That all comes from um, um, it's Isaiah 61 or Isaiah 63. Right? Both of those down in the left. Uh, I'm doing great today, guys. I, I hope you're following. I'm really trying. Um, where Jesus talks about how the Father had anointed him for his ministry. So this statement concerning Jesus, it speaks to the fact that Jesus gets a throne, his position of ruling at the right hand of God the Father, which is something the angels will never get. The desire for a throne, the desire to be exalted above God, is what caused Satan to fall. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 21. Feel free to go read that about the anointed cherub who covers his I will statements. I will exalt my throne above yours. He said that to God. That was a bad idea. And it didn't work out very well for him. Uh, as you read the whole Bible, you know, he gets, uh, he loses his position. Eventually, completely cast out of the presence of God. And at the very end, chained and cast into the lake of fire didn't work out well for him because no angel has ever or will ever receive a throne Jesus did it's another reason Jesus is better um, the quote here your throne O God is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom comes from Psalm 45 verses 6 and 7 so that takes us to verse 10 through 13 and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, for your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies, your footstool. There's so much in here. The final statement in this section concerning Jesus comes from Psalm 102, verse 22 through 27, and Psalm 110, verse 1. Right? So this speaks of Jesus being better than the angels because he is immutable. Right? Which is a fancy word that simply means he does not change. This is part of the nature of our Savior. He is all, this also speaks of his eternality, his eternal nature. It speaks of him being the agent of creation. And it speaks of Jesus getting a throne where he sits at the right hand of the Father until all his enemies are defeated. So let's 
Let's break this apart a little bit. It says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. So that begins, like we talked about last week from John chapter 1 and somewhere in Colossians, that Jesus is the agent of creation. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And nothing was made, and nothing was created that was not created by Him. You go back to Genesis chapter 1-1. What does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. Jesus is the Word. So when God spoke back in Genesis chapter 1, for some reason Genesis is over here and John is over here. So when God spoke in Genesis chapter 1, and John explains to us that Jesus is the word, the logos, the very expression of who God is, Jesus is the agent of creation. Now, about the heavens and the earth, they're going to perish, right? This is all going to go away someday. But you remain. They will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You'll fold them up, and they will be changed. This speaks of the new creation of a new heavens and a new earth. I can't wait. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. So this speaks of the eternal nature of God, or the eternal nature of Jesus, who is God. It's the same thing. And the eternal, or the unchanging nature of Jesus. Later in the book of Hebrews, we'll read, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we speak of his eternal nature, Jesus is not a created being. He is the creator. A lot of cults, a lot of world religions who recognize the existence of Jesus will try to convince you that Jesus is, he was a great guy, he was a prophet, Sure, he spoke on God's behalf, but he's not God. He's not eternal. He was created. Don't, don't think otherwise. Think otherwise. The Bible is so, so clear about this. And people want to argue and say, well, I love it when people say, there's no place in the Bible where Jesus ever declared himself God. I love it when people say that to me. It doesn't happen very often. Kind of ruins it. Read the book of John. Read the Gospels. Every time the Pharisees decide to stone him, it's because he claimed to be God. Read his trial. The reason they took him to Pilate is he said, you being a man, make yourself God. They heard him say it. They recognized what he was saying. And then people say, oh, that doesn't happen much better. To the point that some of the cults and world religions that we have around one of them being the Jehovah's Witnesses, actually changed the Bible so that the Bible would fit what they wanted to believe. And you guys have heard me say this so many times. We don't get to change the Bible. It's a great quote from one of my favorite television shows. I won't tell you what it is. Well, not the quote, but the show. Where, where this guy, okay, I'll tell you what it is. It's Firefly. And there's a guy, Shepard Book, great character. He looks at this young lady who's, she's got issues. And, and she goes, I need to fix your Bible. And he says, River, we don't fix the Bible. The Bible fixes us. 
It's such a beautiful quote, especially in that television show, which is not a biblical television show. It's kind of out there. It's sci-fi and it's fun. But we don't change what this says so that our opinions can be right. If we disagree with this, we are wrong. Just in case you didn't know. That's not how it works. And this speaks to his unchanging nature. Because there are people today, maybe they're in the news media, maybe they're in what are quote-unquote called progressive churches. There's no such thing as a progressive church. If you're progressive, you're not a church anymore. Yeah, I said it. Sorry. If you're compromising the word of God, if you're compromising the nature of who Christ is and how we get saved, if you're compromising any of that, that's not a church. And I know it sounds harsh and it sounds judgmental, but it's not me. God said it. I'm just repeating it. Because he is unchanging. So when the Bible says something like homosexuality is a sin, then someone today says, oh, well, that was written to a different culture at a different time. That's not really what they meant. You're wrong. Because the Bible says Jesus is unchanging. Well, yeah, you know, that, that may have been thought of as a sin in the past, but now, today, we know better. No, we think we know better. And when we think we know better than God, going down the wrong road every single time. Now, I don't say this because I'm perfect. I don't say this because I never sin. I don't say this because... Believe me, there, there, if there was a, there's a few things in the Bible that if God had said it differently, well, you know, my job would be a little easier. <laughs> but I don't complain about it. I don't argue with him. I'm not saying I always obey him perfectly. I wish I did, but I don't. I'm not saying I don't sin. We all know better. Especially if you play pickleball with me. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> Witness, right? By the mouth of two or three witnesses, all things will be established. Um, but it doesn't change that, that we don't get to argue with this. We don't get to think that this has progressed or this has changed because Jesus is unchanging. And while that may ruffle some people's feathers, that should be a source of amazing encouragement to us. Do you ever hear about the husband and wife who the wife was complaining at her husband? And she said, you know, we've been married for 30-some for years, and you never tell me you love me. And the husband looked at her. He said, I, I said it on the day we got married. If it ever changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> because, yes, his word is unchanging, but that means when he says that he loves us and nothing, nothing can separate us from that love, that is unchanging. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how badly you screw up. It doesn't matter the thought you think or the doubt that enters your mind or the lack of faith that you have. He still loves you. We were talking about Gideon last Wednesday night. And we tend to get this idea that we have to be perfect and we have to look good and we have to play the right part and wear the right clothes and say the right things. And then God can use us. God showed up to Gideon while he was hiding, threshing out wheat in a rind press. O mighty man of valor. 
And Gideon goes, nuh-uh. You know, and what he does is, why are you allowing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? We see Gideon's fear and his doubt come out. And he says, go forth in this strength of yours. And Gideon's like, I got, I got nothing. I, got, I can't go anywhere. I am the weakest of the weakest in Israel. How? How? God says, I'll go with you. And that is part of his unchanging nature. This is important for us to understand. We change. Hopefully for the better. Situations change. Look, look at the way, I mean, look at the roller coaster our country's been on over the last 10, 12 years. Economy's down, economy's up. Economy's down, economy's up. Economy's down, economy's up. Oh, this person's in office, so these laws get passed. Yay! This person's in office, these laws get passed. Boo! Right? Over and over and over and over and over again. So our situations change. Right? Maybe we move. Maybe we have a baby. Not me. Right? <laughs> Maybe we get sick. Maybe something happens with one of our kids that we have no control over. Right? We can fill out the maybes until the cows come home. But things will change. How wonderful is it to know that our God, who loves us so much, never that gives me hope. That gives me confidence, not in me, but in him. So let's tie this up in verse 14. I like this. I really do. I'm glad verse 14 is here. Even though it wasn't verse 14 when it was originally written, it was just on the scroll somewhere. Oh, no. <coughs> I talked too quickly after drinking. I'll be all right. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those, or minister for those, who will inherit salvation? We see throughout Scripture that angels are messengers and warriors. And if you go back and read Isaiah 14, we'll know that some angels were worship leaders. Uh, this is presented in Daniel. It's also pre presented in Ezekiel, Isaiah, Matthew, Acts. We see angels showing up as messengers. We see angels showing up as warriors. And here we get a glimpse into what angels do in their service to God. Well, they serve us. They minister to us. How cool is that? This doesn't mean we worship them. This doesn't mean we give them a place higher than what they truly deserve. But it's interesting to know that God has created them and called them to serve us. Just like he's created us and called us to serve one another. There's a really cool parallel there. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So the word minister here means literally to be a public servant who performs religious or charitable functions. To be a public servant who performs religious or charitable functions. Angels are sent forth by God to do this for those of us who will inherit salvation those of us who believe in Jesus. 
right? It doesn't change what I said at the beginning, nor does it mean we should give angels a place higher than what Scripture allows, but everything we looked at today shows us Jesus is better than the angels, but they do have a job to do, and we're part of that job. I think that's pretty cool. There's two places I want to look at to demonstrate this. There are many more, but there's just two we're going to look at today. One is Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. It says, For he shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So this speaks of angels offering us protection. Now, of course, it's God who protects us. He would be the one who dispatches, sends out an angel to watch over us. Um, our enemy tried to use this to get Jesus to test God. He told him to jump off the pinnacle of the temple uh, in Matthew 4 when he was, when he was tempting Jesus. Just jump off the pinnacle of the temple. He'll give his angels charge over here. And Jesus said, uh-uh. Shall not test or tempt the Lord your God. However, it does not change that God does give his angels charge over us to protect us. This is actually here in, in Isaiah, or Isaiah, Hebrews 1.14 is where we get the idea of a guardian angel. Now, one thing I'm just going to mention there's no place in Scripture that says we get one specific angel assigned to us, right? It's not like Bill is my angel and he follows me around all the time. Not that the angels are named Bill. Well, I mean, I guess they're named Michael and Gabriel. Maybe there's a William. Who knows? But there's no place in Scripture that says we just get one. And I'm okay with that. Um, if it was just one, I would feel really bad for him, especially, you know, 20, 25 years ago. He would have been exhausted. So I imagine they're kind of like a tag team. Bill's like, I'm tired of this guy. Somebody, Lord, all right, we'll send Fred. Right? I don't know how it works. But however it works, there's no place in Scripture that says we get one. But we do get them. God does send angels to watch over us and protect us. And I think a beautiful picture of that, I should have wrote the Scripture down, um, but Elisha in the city of Dothan, the enemy, was, the, the enemy of Israel at the time was all angry because uh, Elisha kept telling the king, well, their army's going to be here, or their army's going to be there, so much that the, their enemy, and I can't remember what nation it was, was convinced that he had a leak who was leaking, you know, state secrets to the king of Israel. And they said, no, it's the prophet Elisha. Whatever you say in your bedroom, God tells him and he tells the king. So he says, fine. He sends a huge force to go capture Elisha while he's in the city of Dothan. They wake up in the morning, and his servant, Gehazi, Looks out the window. He's like, uh, master, <laughs> we got a problem. And Elisha's, well, what's the problem? He goes, we're surrounded. And Elisha's like, yeah, go back to bed. He doesn't say that. But those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. And Gehazi's like, what are you talking about? I can see the army. There's two of us. It's not going to go well. And so Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. And then Gehazi sees a host surrounding them that far outnumbers the enemy. Well, who do you think that was? That was a bunch of angels protecting Elisha. And God gave him the ability to see it. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there. If God let us see the spiritual war that was raging around us, Right? The forces that are probably trying to get in here to stop us from hearing this 
angels who are fighting back? Boy, I think we'd freak out a little bit. But if I'm never going outside again, <laughs> I'm going to pour oil on myself every five minutes for the rest of my life. I'm never leaving. I'm never talking to anybody. I'm not looking out a window. Right? If we could see what was going on around us. I'm not trying to say that to, to make you like frightened because we've already won. The victory is already ours. And greater are those with us than those who are with our enemies. The next time, and it's also going to be in Matthew 4, verse 11, after the temptation of Jesus, said the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. At the end of Jesus' temptation, when Satan was sorely beaten by our Savior, the angels came and ministered to him. Now, it really doesn't tell us what they did, but he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was probably hungry, right? Probably thirsty. He was certainly worn out after this spiritual battle he experienced. This doesn't mean angels are superior to Jesus in any way, but it shows their ministry, right? So they showed up with a bag that, that had a big C on it, and Jesus is like, what's that? Chick-fil-A. You're going to love it. So probably not. Um, you know, I'm going to take that back. They brought him anyhow. Because they really loved their Savior. They brought him Chick-fil-A if you like it. Um, I don't know. I'm not that big of a fan of Chick-fil-A, but that's a totally another topic. In and out, on the other hand, I will drive a great distance to get. But we see this. We see that God uses them to minister to us the same way he wants to use us to minister to others. Very cool picture there. So as we close, our purpose today was not to study angels, though we did talk about them a lot. If you want to do so, I highly recommend you spend some time searching the Bible and finding the passages where angels are mentioned. It is a fascinating study. Uh, it will give you a respect for our fellow servants of God. But that's what they are. They are fellow servants of God, just like us. They're probably bigger. They probably look funnier. They're certainly stronger. But we're all servants. However, our purpose today is to show that Jesus is better than the angels. God has spoken to Jesus as the Son who is meant to be worshipped. God has given Jesus a throne at his right hand. God has declared his Son to be immutable, eternal, the creator. There are no angels who ever received these honors, and they never will. We will continue with talking about how Jesus is better than the angels uh, when we get into chapter 2. But until then, uh, what do we take home by way of application in a passage that is so filled with theology? So the most important thing, and I say this every week, and I will continue to say it every week until I die, Jesus is better than the angels because he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again. We're going to talk about this next week as we get into the beginning of chapter 2. So the most important thing anyone can take home ever is to know Jesus as Savior. And I know everybody here, and I'm pretty sure you all know Jesus. You better. If you don't know Jesus coming to this church, you have not been listening. Because I talk about him all the time. And it's not my fault if you don't know him, because I give you opportunities every single week. But I believe you do, 
And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or anything. Unless you don't know Jesus, then you should feel a little guilty and you should come talk to me and get saved. But if you're online and you don't know Jesus, certainly leave us a message or send us uh, a message or uh, leave a comment. We would love to talk to you about that because the truth is Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He did it so we could be forgiven and have a relationship with the Father through him. There is no greater takeaway. But let's move on. Jesus, the Son, our Creator, King, and unchanging Savior, is to be the object of our worship and our focus. He points us to the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit, but nothing else should take his place. We are to worship him and him alone, for he alone is worthy. And the reason I bring that up is because it's so easy to get distracted in this world. It's easy to get distracted by problems, or it's easy to get distracted by difficulties, or it's easy to get distracted when we're tired, or when we're angry, or when we're frustrated, or when, when something's going wrong in a relationship, or whatever. It's easy to get distracted by those things, and then those things start to look a lot bigger than they really are, and God starts to look a lot smaller because we're not focused on him anymore. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If then... You were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Does that passage say that we won't have problems? Does that passage say there won't be things here on earth that will be difficult? No. What does it say? Don't focus on that. Focus on him. I know it's really easy for me to say that. After I'm not being recorded, ask me how often I fail. It's often. Sometimes daily. Or hourly. Or five minutes from now. It just happens. It's so easy to get distracted by those things. So we have to make an intentional effort to put our focus back on him. A lot of ways to do that. But we have to be intentional about it. Today we also talked about the superiority of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the unchangeable nature of Jesus, and the position of Jesus at God's right hand. These are all aspects of his character that are important to our faith in him. Because the more we know him, the more we know who he is, the easier it is to trust him, to rest in him, and to live our lives in him. That's why Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, which means our lives are wrapped up in his. And when we know who he is, it's easier for our lives to be rooted in him. When we know who he is, it's easier for our lives to be built up in him. And as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. The rest of Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So with that, we're going to close. We're going to pray. If you need anything, as I always, please let us know. We want to pray for you. We want to talk to you. We want to give you a hug. Um, we do. We're a family here. I love our church. I hope you do too. If you don't, let me know. Because if Roy's doing something wrong, we'll take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> but we I just I love our church and as we talked about in James right it's, it's so important for us to live 
as a community. And we can't do that if we separate ourselves from one another. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or accuse you. No, 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 no. Just that's why we're here. So let's be here together. So important. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus who is greater. Well, he's greater than everything, Lord. We just thank you that you let us know that, that you show us that, that you teach us that in your word. I pray, Father, that you would bless each and every one of us to keep our focus on you, that you would bless each and every one of us to know our Savior more so that our trust would be rooted and established in him. We pray in all things, Lord, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.